I, yeah. I think yeah, we had a swimmer, an Olympic swimmer we were meant to interview, but he's come down with a cold, so we can't do him this morning. That would have sounded so sexy. Yeah, it would have, eh? Oh, like I'm still like swimming today. And you've you seen, <laughs> and these guys' bodies are like, I'm like, I look at him like, dude, he's put a shirt on. But if I looked like that, would I ever wear a shirt, even in the middle of winter? Not a chance. Um, Tandy, yeah, what is it like with your with your child now when they see you on TV? Because there you are playing golf, um, you know, you're commentating, you, uh, you know, I interviewed you with the Standard Bank Pro-Am series when it was a fantastic season for you last year. Like, is there an added responsibility now as, as a parent, as a mom, you know, like you miss a putt and you're like, oh, I can't really swear or flip a bird to <laughs> the caddy for getting the line wrong or... <laughs> uh, guilty as charged. I have been known to flip a bird. Uh, 14 doesn't know what that is yet. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> generally, we'll keep it. only three in a bit. Generally, yeah. <laughs> the super sport guys are quite good. They tend to edit those ones out and then I get pulled over the coals afterwards. Yeah. I just say, I didn't swear. I didn't actually swear. Well, sign language is still swearing. <laughs> Um, it is very cool, though, when we're at home watching dinner and there's highlights on the TV from the week before mm. or the event that I've just played, and there's mom sitting next to him busy trying to wrestle him to eat his macaroni cheese, <laughs> and there's mom on TV, and he looks and he goes, Mom, you on TV, and you here. And it's just super cool to see his face because he's, like, probably confused, and he's, oh, okay, you were playing golf, okay. Then I'm still trying to wrestle to get the macaroni yeah. in. So. <laughs> Open up. Yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Um, but for him, it's very cool. He often yeah. goes, my mommy's on TV when he sees me. Daddy, come look, come look. And then like after a minute, he's like, okay, I'm over it. Can I put on um, a cocoa melon or something for him? I was like, okay, I'm done watching you. <laughs> yeah, overrated. Yeah, yeah. It was cool for a bit. Um, <laughs> but how have you enjoyed the transition? I mean, you're still playing. Um, I know you've, you've had a few events and there's still quite a bit to come this year. Um apart from your busy schedule, which we'll get to, but you've also seemed to be seamless into the, the commentary space. Are you, are you really enjoying that? Because I think you're a natural. I mean, firstly, you've got such a quick wit. Um, you're, uh, and this is actually a bone of contention, Tyler. Normally, when we are interviewing Tandy anywhere, before the round starts, she's not practicing putts or anything. She's so confident in her game. She's bringing out biscuits <laughs> to everyone. And we have a colleague yeah. who uh, the first time... He got a biscuit from you, and I think you bought him a coffee. He absolutely fell in love with you. We, we, we won't mention his name right now, but he's like, he'll do anything for you. So I'll mention it, Steve. <laughs> Steve. You and I, we go a long way back. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yes, it, it, it was just one of those weeks where I'd had biscuits, and I packed them in my bag. And, I, and you know, when you play events, you get to know all the – the course marshals, sure. the starters. We had the nomads involved, I think, at that week. And uh, Jimmy Sales, who's been around for like 38 years uh, with nomads, both men's and women's event. I'd just go and give them a one or two biscuits or so just to say, hi, guys, I baked these this week. Obviously, with my little boy, they're a little bit not quite perfectly shaped. But uh, it's just one of those things. Like, uh, I suppose even when I was younger, just to be able to share and to mm. give something is, is, is always nice, whether it's a way just to acknowledge you know, I, I see you there and what you're doing is great. Yeah. And, you know, thanks for being here in the inclement weather as we are, you know, playing in it. So, I don't know. It's just something that I've always done. Well, that's very um, cool. I think it's great. I mean, you have this personality and it's bubbly and it's energy. You know, like, I just love people who are just positive all the time, you know. like, And I think, like, you, you um, is it an infectious personality or does that sound bad after COVID? No, it can be infectious. infectious. Infectious is good. Infectious it's is good. In a good yeah. way. In, in a good way. Yeah. In a good way. Um, I, I wouldn't really say that about myself, although I, I have been told, you know, that I can be, can occasionally be quite nice to be around. You, I, I have my moments, as do we all. But I think, you know, life in general, you've got to always try to find a way to be more upbeat, mm. be more positive. There's a lot of negativity around, and it just depends on what you choose to see. Sure. And I think it's a kind of a law of attraction. If you look for the best, look for the good, then generally it comes your way. Whereas if you're always acknowledging the bad breaks, the bad side of the draw, the bad weather, oh, I'm playing with someone I don't really enjoy playing with, yeah. then that sets the mode for, for your round of golf. Whereas if you kind of go, okay, well, <clears throat> she's a little bit challenging. I'm going to make her smile today. I'm going to tell her a joke, and she's going to smile. Like That's kind of like how I approach it. And with the weather kind of go, well, we've all got the same conditions. Let me see if, if, if I can just really have some good grit and metal and 
kind of pull through as well yeah. as I can because I don't enjoy cold and wet, rainy no. weather to play golf in. I don't no think ways. anyone does. It's not meant to be. Unfortunately, sometimes in tournaments you have to play in that. Yeah. It's just like a real war of attrition. And there's a war of attrition against yourself because you're all just keeping your fingers dry, keeping your – well, hair never gets dry, but you're trying to just keep your fingers warm, your body warm, and just try to get through that round of 18 holes. So when you see your draw and, and who you're playing with, I mean, there's obviously people you enjoy playing with. You just have a chemistry or a vibe. But when it is someone that you don't get on with, is it just like a peasantry, is like a professional thing, or is it like – I generally and genuinely don't have anyone that I don't get on with. Yeah. There are just some people that are very like insular and just don't like to engage. So when we're not hitting a shot, it's nice to chat in between and go, so what are you doing and where you're you know, where you at the moment and how's your folks doing? You get those girls are just like very, very much blinkered straight down the passage. Okay. They, they don't want to communicate. So when I say like I look at the draw and I go, mm, it's more a case of saying, I'm going to have a very quiet three ball today <laughs> okay. or I'm going to have a very chatty three ball. But I actually, I, th I think I get on well yeah. with everyone. There's just people that you just know, oh, I haven't seen you in like three months. We're going to got so much to catch yeah, up yeah. on. Like like Nicole Garcia or Stacey Bregman when they come back out from Europe and you play with them. And it's just great because you can chat to them about the tournaments and where they've been and what they've been up to. Because uh, I used to play with them overseas in Europe and go, how's this player doing? And how's this player doing? That's cool. So that just gives you something to chat about in between, whereas the girls who are very insular and quiet. And also, in fairness, also some of the younger girls who are still trying to kind of find their way as to am I the kind of player that just focuses yeah. or do I engage or do I kind of engage in controlled spurts? So those are generally the ones that are quite quiet. They're still trying to figure things out, what strictly works for business. them. Yeah, strictly yeah. golf. <laughs> um uh, uh, Nicole and Stacey, obviously fantastic. Um, but you did have your, your time on, on the European Tour, you, Ladies European Tour. What was that like? I mean, when you first got there and that experience, because I think for a lot of women and young girls who are starting to play golf now and, and see that they can forge a career, that's an attainable target. You know, like it's not something that's just, I know you have to graft hard, but women's golf has, has really progressed in the last few years that, South African women are now becoming forces on the global circuit. I mean, you look at Ashley Bohai, what she's been doing. It's incredible. Um, but take us back to your sort of journey there and, and your experience, because I imagine there's also pressure at the same time. Absolutely. I think when I first went to European tour school and that was just finishing my, my amateur career, and then deciding I'm going to turn professional, I want to go play this game for a living now and actually pursue a professional career. You're very much on your own. There wasn't much in the form of sponsorship um, and backing and, and how to get there. And there wasn't really like the network that there is now. Yes, there were girls who played, but it wasn't as, I'm going to say, as supportive as it is now. If any of the young girls want to go to tour school now, we all say, girls, phone us if you need to help with visas, travel, logistics, where to go, where to stay, when to fly. Yeah. Speak to us. We hear we can help you. Whereas back then, you just kind of figure it out yourself. And you were the pioneer in a way. In many ways. And then before us, it was the likes of the Sally Littles yeah. or the Lorette Maritz or the Mandy Adamsons who, who went and did it. And there was one of them who went and did it. And then there was a gap. And then another mm. one went. And then another one went. So when I went to go and play, Leanne Pace was um, starting to do very, very well. Morgana Roberts, I was still playing. Stacey Bregman, uh, we the same age. So she actually turned pro a year before me. Ashley Buhai was then Simon. She was playing. And that was kind of like the South African fraternity that went and played. Um, and we kind of traveled together. And occasionally we'd split up because you do kind of get sick of each other every week. <laughs> and then you get back together after three weeks. And then, okay, we're brying this week. Yeah. <laughs> we're brying sausages because it's what you do in foreign countries. <laughs> yeah. They don't have force and chops and steak. But, yeah, you you come back together but it was quite tough from the point of view that there was no mentorship to guide you as to how to get there what to do what to expect and funny enough before I went for my first tour school I played golf with one of the ladies who's now still still playing but in her senior years and she said that you've got to be shooting like six seven under par every time you pick it up or you're wasting your time and that like scared the hell into me is to cheese. I'm not shooting seven under every round. Okay, yeah, I'm wow. shooting three, four under, but sure. not seven under. And it kind of messed with my head a bit, thinking like, I'm not good enough. Um, I was a top amateur. So I was, at that time, I was number two in the country. I'd won a whole bunch of events as an amateur and I felt like I was ready to move on. I was uh, 21 at the time. So I'd had a nice long amateur career. I kind of played, got my full junior, junior and senior national colors. And 
like it also got to a point where there's nothing more to play for because if you stay, you just become an older player that can't move on. You kind of sure. get stuck in no man's land. So I said, I want to turn pro. So I turned pro irrespective, went to tour school and I did get a card the first year and it wasn't as grueling as I thought it would be. And just to have someone say, just go play your normal game. Don't put yourself under too much pressure. You know, make sure you've got adequate clothing because it is a lot colder there when you go play in Europe. Sure. And we're just not used to playing in uh, minus 10, which is what I played my first round in. What? Yeah, I woke up and I said, oh, do we actually play? And they said, yeah. I said, but it's minus 10. <laughs> it's like I've never experienced minus 10. The next day was minus Where 1. Was and that? I was like, yes, it was in Spain, south of Spain. Goodness. And they had one of their coldest winters. So your tour school's at the end of the year, normally November, December, because your season then starts sure. in February, January, February in Australia from the following year. So at the end of the year, once their season's done, they have their tour school and that then sets you up. So it always has to be in the south of Europe, which happened to be Spain that year. And it was freezing cold. <laughs> and like it was sleeting. And I wow. still thought, do we actually keep playing? And like parts of the ground were frozen because they'd, they'd irrigated overnight and it had frozen. And there were like ice patches on the fairway. And I just thought to myself, I can't hit all this. <laughs> like seriously? But That's they, crazy. No, they do. As the day yeah. went on, obviously, they, they eventually melted. But it's just to have a little bit of guidance from someone that's been there who's walked the path before to then relay back and go, it's not that scary. Yeah. You know, stay focused, do all the right stuff, but don't be scared. Like, you've got the game and you wouldn't be looking at this if you weren't ready. So where it's different now is that the girls who went to go to tour school this last year um, – they're a lot younger, or more, more or less the same age I was w when I went, but they've had a great... I mean, you're late 20s at the moment, so... Oh, before that. <laughs> yes, before we add that, yes. Um, so when they went last year, we all, myself, Stacey, Nicole, made ourselves accessible and said, what do you need help with? What do you want to know? What do you um, have doubts about? That's and just amazing. to kind of get them under understanding that when they go, this is what to expect. Don't forget to do this. Don't forget to pack that. So at least they're a little bit more prepared. They've still got to go through the learning curve, make the mistakes and, and, you know, cut their own teeth, but at least they're not, they're not in their own. And there's one thing I think that's sort of grown over the last couple of years as the game of golf has grown with the tournaments, more events, Standard Bank series. We've also got a couple of standalone primes coming up that is a joint venture with Leisure Golf and Standard Bank, as well as the Sunshine Ladies Tour now has launched a Vodacom Origin series, which is a joint Brilliant. event with the men. That's going to be exciting yeah, that's to fun. play. Yeah, so obviously playing for the same prize fund. Um, there's four events of those coming up through the course of the year. There's just so much more opportunity to play Whereas when I first turned pro, we had one tournament. Mm. And then you had to go overseas. But if you'd never been overseas, it's a big step to take. You know, you get very An comfortable. Step oh, don't even go there. Very expensive step. And also when you go to someone, you know, 20 years ago and say, listen, I want to play professional golf. They go, sorry, what? Women's professional golf. Yeah. And it's like a bit of a very unrecognized area. Whereas now it's more familiar. So yeah. if you do want to approach a corporate and say, I want to play professional golf. I'm looking for a sponsor. There's a lot more of it that's that that that's currently being exposed. You can actually go, geez, there's great mileage out of this. Let's have a look at it as a corporate. So, th so that mindset is changing now. I mean, I think the focus on women's sport in general in South Africa, but in women's golf in particular, um, I think people are now realizing it's not just the sport that the boys are playing on weekends or Ernie's and that sort of thing. There's actually a, f a really huge talent base that's coming through of talented women who are, are doing their thing for South Africa. Absolutely. And more than that, more than the women that are just playing the game at a professional level, the amateur contingent of up-and-coming businesswomen execs that are wanting to pursue golf, that are in those positions in corporates that are kind of going, listen, we've always understood that golf is where business is conducted on the course. So on Friday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, we're going to go play our golf, and that's where we actually have our meetings in the corporate world. But there's a massive influx of women playing the game now. And I think with those women being in corporate, playing golf, there's now like a huge synergy between let's put this into, uh, the, put the focus into women's sport and uplifting women in, into playing. And as you say, it's not just golf, but it is very prevalent in the corporate yeah. to, to have the those execs and CEOs, CFOs who play golf. Well, I stay, I stay uh, pretty much on a on a golf course and oh shame on a terrible life. Um, <laughs> but what struck struck me is in the time that I've been staying there, the amount of little girls, I mean, from, I imagine, six to ten with dad, 
walking them. And it's like, I think the course, if I'm not mistaken, actually has a, a rounds for the for kiddies. Like, so it's young boys and girls. But yeah. the amount of little girls that have dad walking around and they're playing the round, it, it just, it's, it's great to see because it just means that the sport is becoming, like it's just becoming, I don't know how to put it, but not accessible. It's always been accessible, but it's more like acceptable. Or I don't even know if acceptable is the right word, but it's just like, it's just more universal yeah, now. Yeah, they want to play. Yeah. Girl, little girls. I mean, before, you would think little girls, why would they want to play golf? But now, obviously, the work that you guys have done, it, it's changed the game. It really has. And it's great to see. I think there's been a massive demographic shift because many years ago, um, I was involved with the SA Kids and I would go and do some of their prize givings. And that is kids from the age of five up to, I think, about 12. I may have the categories wrong, but plus minus. And there was basically an eighth maybe a tenth of those players were girls. And there was like one in each age category. And funny enough, this weekend I'm actually going to Centurion for another SA Kids event. And from what I've heard, it's now almost, there's almost more girls than there is boys now. Fantastic. At these various age categories. And it just means that it's just more accessible. It's more acceptable. When I first started playing golf, if you didn't wear like khaki trousers and like those nasty golf shoes with like the flap on the top and a shirt that was three sizes too big. I remember those shoes. Oh, they were so shockers. terrible. Oh, the spikes at the bottom. Jeez. So that's kind of, I'm giving away my age now. But that's when I started. There was like no golf, uh, golf girls apparel. I mean, now you go shopping. Nice. It's just, it's amazing. And the girls can do a lot more with their clothing than what guys yeah. can. There's a lot more leeway. But it just shows that there's a movement. It's great. It's great. I, I want to just touch on something. You, you said when you went out there, you had the, the senior pro uh, telling you, you know, you need to shoot the seven under mm. rounds from it. And then you felt like maybe I'm not good enough from a mental health point of view. Firstly, you're going out to unknown territory in Europe. It's minus 10, minus one, whatever it is. Brand new country. What's going on in your head? Because the mental toughness of golf, I don't think people speak enough of because... It, it is an individual sport at the end of the day. You're the one hitting the ball, having to sink the big putt. Did you have sort of someone you could talk to or, you, you know what I mean? Like just to process what's going on because it was a huge step in your career. Um, and it's, there's a certain amount of vulnerability there because you are doing what you're doing for a living in this new sort of, I suppose, uncharted waters. Yeah, you know, if I look back at it now, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the first year that I went out and played professional golf on the European tour, like a large portion, I was just ignorant. Like I didn't know any better. And like ignorance is bliss. So the less you know, the less you're aware of until people or yourself start to become aware of, okay, if I don't make a cut this week, um, X amount of cash down, I've got to make sure I make a cut next week. And I, so then all those things start to tally up, but if you, but you don't know what you don't know. Sure. So, as you kind of go through the different rungs of development of playing your first year, playing your second year, and kind of cutting your teeth, so to speak, you then learn these different things. And the thing that I struggled with, with the mental wellness or the, the golf psychological healthiness with, uh, with a golfer, was I struggled to play with someone else's money. Okay. Mentally, it, it, it messed with my head because I started to become very tense on the golf course and it affected my putting drastically. Like I just couldn't make putts. I'd hit the ball fantastic, give myself an abundance of opportunities, but not convert that into a hole. And it became um, a physical manifestation of tension just because if I don't make this part, I'm not going to do this. And like almost like this little tally in your head starts going. And I'm that kind of person where I'm very aware of what's happening, what this means, where this shot will move me in the field. So I'm not just kind of happy-go-lucky going along like a poo bear just playing golf. Of course. You get those players who are like that, who do very well, who are a little bit oblivious and don't actually know what they're doing. Oh, is that my score? As in like (laughs) they shoot a great – yeah, yeah. And sometimes they actually fare quite well because they they just – get on with it there's no fear and I think fear is something that you learn it's Mm. a learned behavior and sometimes it's passed on from your mentors or your coaches I had a coach at the time who operated from a bit of a sense of fear and that eventually started to become my modus operandi until eventually this is not me this is not my style I'm a little bit more confident aggressive and I need to play that way and that's when I started playing better golf so it is important to kind of know yourself know what your limitations are and the people that you put around you in your support structure, that they understand who you are and yeah. what your shortcomings are. You have to know that you struggle with, with um, playing under pressure because you've got to pay, 
pay money back or you struggle with a with a two shot lead you're more comfortable with a six shot lead well we're all comfortable with a six shot lead but yeah. you know what I'm saying you just you got to know yourself but to kind of go through that process you have to go and play and make the mistakes yeah. you can't sidestep experience and experience comes from going through the university of life hard knocks making mistakes and learning from it and the funny thing is when I look back now I'm 37 years old now I've played the best golf I think in my 30s having leveraged off all those things I learned in my early 20s playing in Europe playing some events really well playing some events properly mediocre and some events where just I was worrying about all the other stuff yeah. all the other peripheral External, stuff yeah, yeah, you know yeah. boyfriends paying back money where am I going to get you from here what am I doing with my life you Is know that like, would that be on the tee sort of thing or would it you, you oh, know it's what I'm going trying at 100k's an hour while you're over a shot no. yeah it's like running oh it, it just goodness. depends you know if you're playing good golf yeah. and you're in a good space everything flows it's like your mindset's very clear when you're struggling or you need to make a cut or you're not playing well or you're going through a bit of a transition in your swing or you're just not trusting your game, that's been almost like all the demons start to rear their head. Um, and it's 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 at the worst time. You know, normally when your mental faculties are strong, you don't acknowledge things like distractions or um, people making a noise around you. But when you are unsettled, you notice everything. I mean, I can hear people breathing four fairways across when you distract. It's just, sure. it's the nature of how it is. And it's just about trying to find that calmness to to get back to center. But again, you have to learn it. Yeah. You have to know what chaos is to know what peace is. And you kind of have to delve in those extremes to find that happy medium. You can't just arrive. Look, those people that can arrive and just play well, fantastic you know you must make the most of it because for the rest of us mere mortals who have to kind of go through the ups and downs the peaks and troughs of performance and not doing well and loving golf hating golf wanting to give up you know thinking golf is everything to try to find the balance and that's all it is just constantly trying to find that balance um it's clear that you've been through the university of golf <laughs> and life and not done yeah <laughs> far from done. But that's what i said but were there ever times and you touched on it now where you were hating golf and you're like you know what, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore? Or was it always a case of like, how can I improve? Or let's get through this storm and, and look onto the next chapter or the next section? Or is it a little bit on swing adjustment? Is it, let's fix the putting? Or? I have wanted to give up golf, put my clubs in the cupboard once. And when that happened was I was in my third or fourth year, or my fourth year as an amateur golfer playing full-time. And I went to go play a British Open uh, sorry, a ladies British amateur, apologies, and I went to play a Scottish ladies event, the oldest ladies event you can play in the world. I was so nervous. I'd prepared, I'd practiced, I'd played, I'd gymmed, I'd exercised, I'd watched what I'd eat, e eaten, I'd worked with a biokinetist, I'd worked with a psychologist. I was ready. Everything was ticked. I got there and my performance imploded because of anxiety. Just, oh, I was like, man. I'm finally here. Like, what do I do? This is like so amazing. And then just performance imploded. And I ended up playing okay in the first event. I kind of made the cut. It was a top top 60, then my top 64, then play match play. And I got to like the third or fourth round. So I did well considering I didn't feel like I was very confident. Yeah. The week after, I went to go play this event at St. Andrews. And the first round. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> the first round was 18 holes on the new course, which in my opinion is more difficult than the old course. The next day was 36 holes on the old course. So the first day I went and shot 87 14 over par. I walked up the golf course. It was horrific weather, wind and rain and all kinds of rubbish. And I had my coach with me there and I said, I'm done. I don't have what it takes. I do not have what it takes to play this game at this level. I'm done. When I'm after this tournament, I'm going to go home. I'm going to study or I'm going to get a real job. And he says, it's fine, but you're going to finish this tournament. I said, no, I'll finish this tournament. But I'm done. Like, yeah. I just, I don't have what it takes. I'm too nervous. Like, I'm literally jittering over the ball because... I'm so well prepared that I just don't know how to... Just had the voices in the head going. Jeez, luck. Everything was going. Oh, man. So the next morning I had to pick it up. And I'm like, well, I'm done after this. I went nine under par, six under par. I ended up finishing under par for the tournament. I'd play golf like I didn't care. Like I literally had no inhibitions. It wasn't reckless or wild. It was just like, there's where I want to go hit it. There's where I want to go hit it. And then after I walked off the golf course, I'm like, oh... Is this what I meant to feel all the time? <laughs> so I didn't give up. Sure. I came home and I won three tournaments in a row because I finally understood that you've got to play golf without those inhibitions. Yes, you're still focused. You're still picking a target. You're still applying yourself. But you are 
you, you're giving in. You're not giving up. You're just giving in to the outcome. Yeah. And I was so focused on trying to produce results. And I went and played great after that, ended up turning professional. And then in my professional career, a very similar thing happened where I got to like a point where I'd prepared and I'd just done everything I possibly could and then performance anxiety set in again. But it was like another level now. So yeah. amateur golfers here, now you just climb up a little bit higher. It's the same demons. They just seem bigger. So I went to go see a sports psychologist, Dr. Carl Morris in Manchester. He did wonderful work with Oristes and Poulter. Uh, Luke Donald back then, again, giving away my age because they are now playing live tour. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll and, get your thoughts on that just now. And um, he said to me, you've got two arms, two legs and a brain. Can you hit a golf ball? Yeah. Can you hit the golf ball the same as all those girls who are winning? I said, yeah. I said, well, then what's the problem? I said, well, when I'm in the moment, like I'm not excess. Okay, cool. We've got to work on your routines. We've got to work on how you concentrate and what you concentrate on. And then again, just learning more about myself and what was distracting me internally and externally and just learning how to switch on and switch off. It's such a simple thing, you know, that movie Karate Kid where he says, oh, wax on, wax off. (laughs) I know it seems like such a simple principle, but to try switch on focus with control on and off at will is a lot harder than what you think. When you've got the looming, if I win this event, it's life changing. It's going to sort me financially. I'm going to get into the British Open. I'm going to get all these invites. And that's kind of hanging over you while you're teeing off on the 10th hole. you still got nine holes to play. So, you know, it's just to learn to deal with those things. And you have to kind of get there, mess up, and then understand there's an issue here. I've got to work on it. So I never wanted to give up at that point. I just, I needed something different. And I was getting frustrated. And that's when I also sort of came back from Europe um, and I had a break at home. I worked on this. I went back and I played great. I had two really good seasons uh, in Europe after that. Because I just I came home and just spent some time with the family, just kind of regrouped. Sure. And then went back out almost like well, well equipped and ready with my weapons of how I'm going to deal these. So, so it's definitely been a, dis- a journey of self-discovery. Huge. You know what I mean? Not just on the golf course, but, you know, as, as a human being, as a mother, as a yeah. ambassador, as a whatever it is. It's, it's been, yeah. Golf is definitely like a reflection of life. And I think a lot of the things that we have flaws as, as a person, as a personality, comes out on the golf course. If there's any cracks in your relationship, if you have a fight with your wife or your husband in the morning, it comes out on the golf course when you're playing because you're so vulnerable. You're so exposed. Everything is there to be, you know, shown. So you, you've got to have peace in all aspects of your life to play really, really good, confident golf. You can't have drama in the background. Yeah. It's just it's there. It's at the back of your mind. And when the pressure's on, that's the first thing that comes up. You you spoke of the routines, and I noticed a lot of golfers have routines. It's exactly the same. They put the ball on the peg, the you know, mm. and tee off sort of thing. Is that, does that apply to you? Do you have like your, your routines and where you go, okay, cool, now I can actually hit the ball? Yeah, so I think there's two aspects to that. And from a coaching point of view, maybe I can explain this. So when you are approaching a shot there's a pre-shot routine and a pre-shot ritual Mm -hmm. the ritual is the physical thing that you see the walk up line up set up pick a target and execute that's just what you're going through on a physical level but the pre-shot routine is all the mental aspect that happens beforehand what am i hitting what's the wind doing what do i want to do with the shot okay water left bunker right missing left is not an option and then while you're sort of factoring all those elements is how do I feel? Like, yeah. do I feel like I can go for this flag? Where am I in the field? Am I, am I playing an opening round? Do I just want to post a good round? Am I chasing down a leader with two holes to go? All those things have to be factored into your decision making because if you need to make a birdie in the next two holes to have a chance of winning, you're going to go for that flag. Yeah. If it's an opening round and you just want to set like a nice sort of starting score, you don't really attack flag. Well, I don't really attack flags in, in an opening round. Just try to put together a nice solid start. Build that rhythm. So that whole pre-shot routine happens before, okay. and then you just go through the ritual. Oh, I see. Okay. So just to kind of break it down into those two aspects. Because often people go, <laughs> um, oh, I know what I'm doing. They get over the ball, and as they're about to pull the trigger, um, where do I want to go? Like, where, what am I trying to do here? And then that's when yeah. you know, the cognitive brain sort of fights the subconscious brain. I got you. That's very interesting. I think because people, when they break down golf, if you look at the the top people like you, I mean, you make it look so easy. But what they don't realize is the amount of work that goes into it. Because, like you said, there's the ritual, there's the routine, there's the hours on driving ranges, playing rounds, practicing. And that's why you make it look easy. But it's not always the simplest game, is it? It's a great leveler. 
golf is not easy. And if anyone asks me, I'll say point blank, golf is not easy. <laughs> and actually, I taught a bunch of beginners like a week and a half ago. So I just want to put this out there to you before you decide to pursue this journey, because it is a journey. It is a journey. It is 90% rubbish. <laughs> and it is 10% golden. And it's that 10% of making a long putt on the last hole that's going to bring you back. As you practice and play more and more, yes, that 90% may shift to 80-20, but it's predominantly pretty hard and pretty rubbish. So just <laughs> prepare yourself for that psychologically before you think, you know, you're going to arrive and suddenly hit the ball like Rory McIlroy every shot. We all wish we Absolutely. could. Even Rory McIlroy wishes he could hit the ball <laughs> at his best every single time. And it's just to create context. Um. Speaking of that, have you enjoyed the coaching side of it? Because you've got so much wisdom and, and experience, um, but sort of imparting that on other people, is that something you enjoy, that, that side of the other side of golf, if I can put it that way? I do. I do. And it's interesting. I never thought I would be on that side of golf. Uh, you always, as a sports person, any sports person who wants to pursue their, their chosen profession as a career, you never look at, okay, if I don't make it, I'm going to be a coach. <laughs> it's 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 like kind of like second or third prize on on the list. Um, you're always pursuing it as if this is what I'm going to do for the yeah. rest of my life, or for as long as I can, as long as my body or my health p permits. And when I first came off European tour, I had to stop playing because there was no events. We had economic downturn, and there were no events to play. So I had to come back home. And I said, well, I can't sit at home for 25 weeks of the year or more, 30 weeks of the year. I need to actually get a job. So. <laughs> Okay, well, what can I do? And I ended up getting a teaching post at Grand Park. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I can coach. Like I'd coached on and off, you know, as a junior to sort of help the kids and did a bit of development coaching when I was at Wanderers and a junior golfer there. But it was not like, oh, I can't wait to get up and go teach someone. <laughs> and when I actually did it, I, I loved it. To see a raw person go from not being able to make any contact and hit the ball in the air, to see the excitement on their face. Oh, this is so cool. And to take them through their own personal journey at whatever skill level they may be at, I found that very rewarding. And I also then realized I had a lot to offer in to trying to expedite your process of of development. You know, rather do this, not that, because you're kind of wasting your time. Just sure. do this and, and you'll see results quicker. Uh, and I really enjoy giving back to the game and I enjoy helping people. Um, I do focus a lot on the juniors and the ladies and the seniors. That's where I feel like I'm really in my comfort area, in my in my niche. Got it, yeah. um, and they like my dirty jokes, which is I was great. about to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, like top, top level pros. I think I can help from a strategic point of view, but generally my, my mentor, John Dixon, who's also my coach, He's like the master and they must go to him because he, he's been at it for so much longer than me and he understands the fine tuning better than me. And also I think he just has more confidence in helping those top players. You know, yeah. the top players, they're looking for 1%. Absolutely. Whereas a, a new golfer or a, or a club golfer who's struggling with a 24 handicap, come to me, I'll show you how to read the green and control your putts better. We'll improve your score by six shots. Yeah. Like, the, the improvement is easier to see and it's more, more instant. Whereas professional golfers, they're a lot more difficult. Yes. They're spiral. They are more difficult. But the margin for error is so small and so minute that sometimes you don't see it initially. And they... I, I find it a little bit challenging from that point of view because they want to see an instant result. Yeah. Whereas amateur golfers, you can. Yeah, that's you just can. a wider range yeah, no, of it, improvement. It, it, Absolutely. It is, it is, it is. So maybe, yeah, that just a, that pleases my ego better <laughs> <laughs> that I can help you. Um, but yeah, I just find them more rewarding. And also, they they love their golf. They're completely dedicated. They like want to play golf and win that Saturday comp and, you know, 350 round Willie's voucher. They want it, you know, <laughs> they're hungry. Um, has it improved your golf? The co Absolutely. In the coaching space? Because, Absolutely. Yeah, maybe sort of taking a step that way has allowed you to take two steps that way, if I make sense. You know, sense. if you see enough people making bad swings, you understand when you make it, where it comes from. And you can... Pick up the cues. Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it psychological? The shot means a lot to them. And you start to learn just by watching people. And also you're constantly reinforcing good things like basics, alignment, posture, space, balance. You're constantly reinforcing all these things. So, yes, I do think it does make you a better player as long as you're able to keep playing in between. I think if you just yeah. coach endlessly, you don't have any time for yourself. Because at one point I was coaching a lot, almost nine, ten hours a day, like what my mentor, John Dixon, does. Um, 
And then at the end of the day, I'd be like, oh, the last thing I feel like doing is tipping out a crate of balls. Yeah. So as long as you have the balance of coaching, giving people your energy, and then still being able to have enough for yourself, whether at the beginning or the end, um, that's that's important. How much of it is a, is a feel thing? Because I imagine it's all about feel. Like club in the hand, striking the ball, you're like, yes. Or you're like, hang on, we need to work on a few things here. If I'm breaking it down very simply, you know. How much of golfers feel? <sighs> as someone who's played it. Yeah, I'd say it's probably 90% of it is feel. 10% of it is technical. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to relate this to like a, like a fairly good golfer, like a professional golfer. 10% of it is technical because they've gone through the stages of working on their chipping, their pitching, their putting, their bunkers. They're at a proficient level. Yeah. Once you're at a proficient level, it's then all feel, confidence, trust, execution. All that internal stuff that you actually can't really see. Um, that I think is the the bigger part once you are a proficient golfer. While you're still on your journey, you've got to learn all the, the technical and mechanical aspects. But once you're proficient, it is feel. And confidence, like so oh. much of sport is confidence and like that raw self-belief. Yeah. Just being able to know that I can hit the shot or I can execute it or I can make this putt. And are great swings born with players or are they made? You, you know what I'm trying to say? Because you have some people who just are absolutely so natural. Um, mm. They step up and they, I mean, most of the professionals look pretty good, but they are, you can see they're people that force it. You know what I mean? It's uh, its hard to describe, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I know have like what you mean. You a natural, like just I effortless. I used to play golf at Wanderers as an amateur, and there was a member there. Had the most hideous golf swing on the planet. Looked like a mosquito that had been sprayed with doom. It was just like arms and legs. <laughs> and this old bully could shoot lights out. With this wonky swing that he didn't hit the ball so well, he had like so much self-belief yeah. and he would hustle. So, and there's a couple players on tour. I mean, there was a lady who played in Europe. Goodness gracious me. Rika Hakarainen's finished. We used to call her Rika Hakaround again because her swing was just terrible. This chick won tournaments. She could chip and putt. <laughs> From anywhere. I just kept thinking, how does this chick win tournaments? But she was so cocky confident in her short game that she would hustle. So, yes, having a good swing, having raw talent, hugely helpful. Yeah. Definitely sets you in the right direction. But there's no substitute for hard work. Yeah. Absolutely not. Those that have got less talent and work at it end up being more successful, I think, in their career. And real talent is actually having mental talent and knowing what you're good at, what you're not good at, and not taking your talent for granted. Kind of going, listen, I've got a naturally good build, naturally strong. I can hit the ball far. Yeah. Keep at it. Work at it all the time. Don't take it for granted. I suppose that applies to all sports, actually, Every at the end sport. of the day. Yeah. Um, Work ethic. When you look back at your career now, and it's, and it's important that there's still quite a few more rounds in you, you look back at the tournaments you won and performances. Do Is there one or two that really stand out where you went like, jeez, the hard work has paid off. Like, you know, this is... This is where I'm meant to be in my in my life right now, sort of thing. So yes, the, I, I can think of two definite moments, and the one is when I'd just turned professional. My third event that I played as a professional was the SA Open, and I ended up winning the event. But I went nine under par, six under par, and like a wounded animal, seventy five the final day because suddenly I realised I had an eight shot lead, and even Greg Norman lost an eight shot lead. <laughs> Someone told me that, and I'm like, what? Why would you tell me that before I play? Um, I won by two. Oh, that was all right, yeah. It worked out. It's a bit of a sweat, like dragging my leg in the last hole. It's just not pretty golf. But I'd won the event, and when I shot that 63, I remember getting off the golf course, um, sitting down and doing my scorecard, and I played with Leanne Pace and Lorette Moritz. And I'm adding up my scorecard, and I'm going, this is wrong. Add it up again. And I'm like... 63, no ways. I'm missing like two whole score here somewhere. And I kept adding it up. And I'm like, 63, how did I make nine birdies? No bogeys. I was oblivious. I didn't even know. I was having so much fun just playing golf, hitting shots, chatting to my, my lady. I didn't even know what, what I was doing. And I kept adding That's my amazing. score up. And I go, I can't <laughs> hand the score and it's wrong. And they said, no, you've got a six-shot lead. I said, what? Next day I did it again. I three-putted three of the holes coming in. <laughs> so I got, I made nine birdies the next day, and then I had three-putt, three-putt, three-putt to finish. I should have shot 18 under. But I did it again. I said, there's no ways. There's no ways I've done this. And then day three, reali you know, reality check happened. 
you're now leading a tournament. You've got one round to go yeah. and you've got these, you know, experienced contenders on your tail. Bogey the first hole, bogey the second hole. Oh, okay, well, I'm down to six shot lead now. Mm. <laughs> and just like kind of... How many more do I have? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just keep, let me get my little calculator out. Um, but that was a, a great moment because I almost felt like I've achieved perfection in the round of golf where I had so much fun. I walked off the course. I didn't know what I shot. And when I was done, I was like, this is great. And I felt like I put everything together, all the work that I'd done, the swing work, the practice, the training, the focus, the concentration, and the biggest ingredient, the enjoyment. I had so much fun that day. And guess what? I played well. Yeah, that's, that's and, so cool. You know, it's, it's great when you're able to have fun doing what you do and it produces results. You know, when it feels like it's a chore and it's hard work, and it's not so great. No, exactly. Because it wears you down. The second time was last year, actually. At Serengeti, my first win on the Standard Bank. I had a good friend of mine on the bag with me, Neil Homan. Um, we've been friends for many years. I said to him, because he was away traveling. He says he's back for a week and he's got nothing to do. I said, well, great, come caddy for me. And he just loves coming to chat to the girls and catch up. And, you know, he just he just enjoys being out there, but he has spare time. And I hadn't won since 2013. Yeah, nine years. Nine years. I hadn't won in nine years. Uh, I've been playing. I had a lot of second places. I had a lot of first princesses, but no wins in that time. Oh, the odd pro-am, but I mean tournament, actual tournament. So last year when I, when I played at Serengeti and um, I had a great score the first round, a good score the second round, then the third round, these girls were chasing me down. And he's like, just stay calm. I'm like, you don't understand how bad I want this. Like, it's, it's well overdue. Yeah. Um, that fire's and burning. And he was just... <laughs> So instrumental to just saying, just stay calm. You've got three holes to go. You can go pa pa, and you're going to win by two. Just chill kind of thing. And when I was eventually, like, knocked that last putt in, it's like that sigh of relief. And it's like, are we done? Have I actually done it? Have I actually done it? Because I know it's not a, like a major event. You know, at every level, like winning locally, winning internationally, winning majors, like the, the bar just keeps yeah, going up levels, and up. levels, absolutely. When you haven't won for nine years, it feels like a big thing. Absolutely. It feels huge, especially <laughs> when you've been – Second place yeah. so many times. So I ended up winning five last year. Yeah, four in a row. Top prize. Yeah, didn't four you? in a row yeah. after that. It's it's just so funny how once you can get your nose over the finish line once, it's not like the floodgates open and oh, I'm so good. It's just like it's not that difficult. You just gotta keep yourself on track, stay focused, not have any oopsies along the way. And so often you look back and you go, Oh man, that shot, that shot, that shot finish second so will you that shot, that shot, do you that lie shot. awake sometimes at night going through the round in your head i try to do like my post catharsis okay. after the round and then i'm done oh, okay. i don't mull over it Shut and it I, I don't lose sleep yeah, yeah straight after my round i go oh you missed there you missed there this was good this was good if i need to hit balls i go hit balls i need to work in my putting like a putt and then i'm done okay done tomorrow new day worry about it then i don't lie in bed at night and think um well <laughs> Try not to. Coulda, woulda, shoulda sort of. No, yeah, no. no. It's not healthy. It isn't. And yeah. I used to. I used to sit up for hours mulling, looking at my stats and looking at my fairways and regulation and this and going, oh, where, where am I missing? Where am I? And it starts to eat you up inside if you start overanalyzing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, we've seen Live Golf dominates uh, headlines, um, had players sanctioned and all sorts of things. There's talk of, of a woman's sort of Live Golf um league i suppose at some point do you think this whole live golf has been good for golf in general has it been a wake-up call to the traditional powers that be or is there a place or do you think this is just you know a money grab sort of vibe to be honest i'm not entirely sure yet i still think the players that are on live tour still have enough ranking that they haven't really felt the full ramifications of being taken off the world rankings and how it's going to affect their playing going forward um, I think in the next maybe year you'll actually see because those players will fall completely out sure. of the world rankings and then they won't be able to go and play the majors. Um, the talk of the women's event, I've also heard about it at this stage. It's its all talk. Um, the only thing that sort of made me think about it differently is someone like um, Cameron um, where he won the British Open and then straight away signed up for Liv. And in my opinion... I think it's a mistake because he's still got so much golf to give and so much to offer yeah. playing on the main tour. I mean, he's young, he's confident, and he's got a major under his belt and he's only like just starting. It's just exciting to like watch. stay yeah. and do what you can here for as long as you can. So 
there, I don't know if maybe the money bells rang louder than than playing golf. Because you also got to ask yourself, why do you play golf? Yeah. When you were a kid, who did you watch up grow watch growing up? I watched Nick Price, Ernie Els, and Nick Folder. Those were the guys I grew up watching as a young kid, and then later it moved on to a young Tiger Woods and Davis Love the Third and Jim Ferry. Those were the guys VJ Singh that I watched as a kid, thinking, man, these guys are so cool. Yeah. I would love to play golf like them. And those were like the idols. Annika Sorenstam, she was towards the end of my amateur career. She was still playing quite well, so she was the female mentor or role model. Um, you think, well, I'd love to be able to achieve what she's achieved. And that's also why you play golf, is to yeah. go and be like the greats, like your role models who came Win before. Win majors and yes, names yes, etched in history. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, the fact that you can make a living out of it, great. Absolutely. Now, yeah, I don't – I guess I haven't formally got also, an opinion about it yet because I still don't think we actually know where it's going to go and how it's going to end true. up. But how much money is enough money? You know what I mean? Like you have guys playing and – uh, was it Charles Schwartzel who got, it was 60 million rand or something after he won his first yeah. or so, something yeah. crazy like that. And then you made 86 million rand in his first event that he won. That's above the whatever contract he signed for X amount of million dollars. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. I'm just saying like, it's such a pertinent point you make there. Why do you play golf? Yeah. Like, because you get into it not to earn a living, right? It's a, it's to be great. It's to be, in, yeah. in, in a sport, you'd, yes, I mean, there is that aspect of it. You but do want to earn a living. I mean, you still want to exist and be sure. able to, but when to, you've picked to, your to pay your bills. Yeah. For the first time, it wasn't, I want to win a million dollars. It was about, I love golf. Yes. And, and I get that the progression too from amateur. Then that was is my reasoning. Yeah. I love the game. And with what I'm doing now with the mix of teaching, playing commentary within the game, and also I'm doing my PJ diploma within the game, it's because I love the game and I want to mm. be in the game. The fact that I can generate income from those different avenues is great. It really is fantastic. Um, and it's a skill that I've got through something that I love. And there was a saying many years ago, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. I don't work for a living. I play golf every day or teach golf nice. or hit yeah. golf balls Absolutely. or tell old buddies to stick their bum out <laughs> and brush the grass. Make it's Dale great. blush in the I commentary I love booth. making Uncle Dale blush. <laughs> that is my favorite. But so I don't feel like I actually work. Yeah. You know, I look at people that sit behind a desk job and they have to sit in Zoom meetings all day and I just think, oh, I'm not built for that. Yeah. I can't. I can't. But we're all different. Absolutely. And the world needs different people. So if Liv came to me and offered me $100 million to go and play, I probably would go. But then I'd say, can I still commentate? And can I still teach? And can I still do what I do? Because I still love the yes, game. Yeah. No, I don't know. It's a tricky one. I, it I is a tricky it. one, you know, because, you know, $100 million in your bank account would be quite fantastic. I don't, know, I don't know if I could spend that. Well, I could find a way. My husband no, will spend I think, it. I think you could find a way. My husband will spend it. <laughs> He'll find a way to spend it. Um, but, yeah, do you play golf because you love the game and you want to pursue the best career that you can etch for yourself or are you there just to make as much bucks as you can? You win one major and, I mean, I think you're pretty much made in terms of financially. Yeah, with the endorsements that you get after that, surely, yeah. Especially for the men. For, especially for the men. Yeah. Obviously. Women is now catching up to Yeah, women yeah. is improving. Uh, but what the biggest thing is golf is also so, so much about tradition, history, rules, you know. This sort of disrupts that whole thing with, with Live Tour. You know, it's 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 just such a, a tricky sort of thing because they have disrupted. They have turned heads. They've got so much money to spend. But the future of golf, for me, looking at it as someone who's – I'm not the biggest golf fan. I respect golf. I watch when I can and play when I can. But I just think that this is an unhealthy situation at the moment. Yeah, I think time will tell. You know, the closest thing that I can relate it to, in my my mm. understanding, is if you look at uh, cricket, where we had five day test match, which to me was oh so long to watch, <laughs> one day test match, and now we have twenty twenty. Yeah. So if you can try related to that, the golf and cricket's been around for a long time as well. There's a longer version of the game, there's a short version of the game, and there's a very power-packed, condensed version with music and dances and and things and all kinds of crazy stuff going on and you know, privateers who own that team. Yeah. It's possibly going in that sort of direction, albeit on like a different level. There's one person, one entity funding it. But I think time will tell. I don't think we can accurately put down anything in concrete as to where it's going to go and how okay. it's going to be. We still need to see what's going to happen. Do you think a live tour for women would be good for the game? I think it would be great for the women's part. 
to give it equal status. Mm-hmm. I don't know the ramifications as to how it will affect those players who are playing on the US or the European tour because they also get sanctioned or banned. Yeah. Yeah. Because it will certainly ruffle feathers. Well, there, there has to be yeah. permutations from that. And you can't do mm. one for the men, but not for the women. Absolutely. You have to have a certain approach of uniformity. Tandy, um, we're running out of time here, uh, and I could talk to you for hours. What's next for you? Um, what is the, you said the PGA uh, diploma. That's exciting. Um, that's something pretty prestigious. Is it not in South Africa in, in this context? And for you, I mean, that would be something slap bang on the CV, yes. Absolutely. I think it's something to to be very proud of once it's on your CV. I'm in my final year, my third year. Um, I've got my residentials this coming week, which is three days of lectures and um, like seminar almost. Then the year starts, you do your assignments, you do your work, and then do final exams next year, January. And then after that, graduate. But you got this, I mean, you got this. Come on. Hey, listen, it's been a while <laughs> since I wrote exams. I kind of, you know. Very happy I made it through this year, January, studying whilst away on holiday, trying to study like business law, just thinking about having a nice glass of wine on the beach. But okay, we're going to study law. (laughs) It was tough. Um, Yes, I'll be very happy once it's done. And the main reason why I'm doing it is I think it's going to open doors for me down the line. It's more of the holistic approach where it covers um, business management, golf as an entire industry. And you can kind of vary where you want to go. Uh, down the line as well as a sort of internationally recognized diploma. So if I did want to leave, which I do not, you know, it does open doors. Sure. But also I think down the line there's more that will offer as you get older to sort of play more programs, what have you. Um, so, yeah, as mentioned earlier, I've got a busy couple of weeks coming up. So i got my residential and then I'm doing commentary next weekend for the KitKat program at Irene. Fantastic. So I'll be walking comms there, making Uncle Dale blush. And then the Monday, I fly down to Derbs. I'm playing first Standard Bank Series event of this year at Cotswold Downs. Looking super forward to that. Um, I'll see you there. Oh, you'll see me there. I'll Great. See you there. Great. And then I come back and then I got lessons the rest of the week. So, pretty much a nice big balance of all those different things for me. And that'll kind of continue throughout the year. Well, long may it continue. Thank you. Thanks for making golf so fun. Um, yeah. Thanks for not bringing biscuits. I mean, come on. <laughs> but uh, it's been awesome to have you on the show. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what uh, the future holds because I think you've still got a huge play, a role to play in golf, um, especially when you eventually one day decide to go into the, the business end of things. Thank you. Look forward to that.